recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley. This is being recorded on May 25th to hit the internet on May 26th. Remember, you can listen to this show on every podcasting venue imaginable, like iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and on Google Play. And if you want to see me daily, it's on on Twitter, at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlue. So it's another weekly edition of the Thursday Talk. We have a sports media guest, and this week is Jared Diamond. He covers the New York Yankees for the Wall Street Journal. And I was able to talk to Jared about you know covering the Yankees. He previously covered the Mets. You know, some of the similarities, the differences in covering the team, the recent Yankee hot streak, uh, a few other issues in baseball, and a little bit about the man himself. So let's take a listen. He covers the Yankees and Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. He's Jared Diamond. Jared, welcome to the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Oh, great to be here. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, so <laughs> let's, let's talk Yankees here. Six-game winning streak, and because everything in society is beyond reactionary with every win or loss, how should Yankee fans feel right now? Should we be uh, contacting Ticketmaster to print out those playoff tickets, uh, chalk it up to uh, you know the subpar competition, or somewhere in between? I would say cautiously optimistic, if I were a Yankee fan, how I feel right now. Look, the team is not as bad as what they showed in April. I think everyone knew that, has known that the entire time. Yes, it's a flawed team. They're not perfect. They may not be a World Series contender, but they're not a last-place team either. So it's starting to even back out. They're playing a lot better. They beat up on some teams that weren't that great. The Blue Jays have struggled. The A's have struggled. But that's what it's going to take. The question is, did they dig themselves too big of a hole to seriously get back into the division race uh, with the Red Sox and Orioles, who both look really good? But the Yankees really can't control that. If they keep winning, if they keep playing the way they're playing, I wouldn't be surprised if they make it interesting as we get into the summer because they do have a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to think you're, you're, you're correct there. I think it. It's probably going to be somewhere, you know, around like it was last year. I mean, I think they're going to com- be competing for that second wild card, maybe. I mean, maybe I'm being cautious, cautiously optimistic even saying that. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see, like you said. Um, before this year, you were covering the Mets for the Journal. Now, to to fans, this may seem like a, like a cruel twist of fate. One team on the precipice of the World Series, another sort of like we just talked about, you know, teetering on the edge. I mean, was this a tough transition or is this, you know, just part of the job? It's a tough transition just because I had a real comfort level with the Mets. I'd been there for three seasons. I knew everybody. Everybody knew me, players, organization, front office, manager, et cetera. And switching to the Yankees is really like starting fresh where you don't know anybody, nobody knows you. And the Yankees in particular are just a very difficult team to jump onto the beat just because of one, the amount of media that covers them every single day to the experience of the other beat reporters. There's a lot of, of beat guys on the Yankees who've been doing this for a decade right. or more on the same team. So they have a lot of institutional knowledge and also just the Yankees are the Yankees. They have a, a certain aura about them, which often makes them a little bit tougher to cover. They're not quite as open as the other teams, especially the, the players are generally veterans. They're older as opposed to the Mets, who are a very young, sort of impressionable and fun group. The Yankees just aren't that. So it's definitely a challenge. It's something totally new. Expected, I didn't quite realize uh, how much this would feel like my year covering baseball again. It really is a lot different, but it's also been a fun challenge. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I could see the Yankees uh, being very rigid and parochial to a certain extent. And yeah, the Mets team, they, they do a lot of fun things where you see a lot of Yankee fans saying, well, that looks too fun. We don't do that here. So I could just imagine as a beat reporter that it probably works the same way covering the team. Yeah, the Yankees are not a fun team. I don't mean that as a criticism. It's, it's by design. They are very businesslike. They believe that the fun is in winning, and if they win, then people will have fun. And maybe, and maybe that's true. Maybe the Mets are the way they are because they've just been bad for so long, most of their history. They've been, they've been a bad team. So I understand why the Yankees do things the way they do them. And for a lot of people, it's probably great. Uh, for me, the way I cover the team is a little different than some of the other reporters. I'm looking for sort of offbeat, fun angles and the Yankees definitely make that tougher but certainly not impossible right uh you you've covered both teams you're from New York you love baseball so be honest who did you root who did you root for growing up (laughs) I get this question all the time and now I've covered both teams so I guess it's okay to finally share I think people now know I did actually root for the Yankees when I was a kid uh really from I was eight years old in 96 so that was really when it all started, 95, 96. Really from then up to 2001, uh, obviously the great years with the Yankees. After 2001, going to 2002, I was then 14, 15. Uh, I didn't, it was a little different from that point forward. I wasn't quite as into the Yankees. It wasn't really their fault. I was just growing up a little bit. Right. Maybe yeah. the teams, the teams also just weren't as exciting to me. They started bringing in all these free agents as opposed to the, more homegrown, scrappy guys they had in the late '90s, who I just thought were, were a lot easier to root for than. Are you, are you trying to tell me? You, are you trying to tell me Kevin Brown and Jarrett Wright? You can get behind that. That was a lot of right, fun, right? I, right, Jarrett. Like, not all the guys they brought in were tough to root for. I think most Yankee fans like Jason Giambi right. uh, a lot. He he kind of had a, a different personality, but it wasn't really. It didn't quite feel the same when all of a sudden Mike Messina and Gary Sheffield were the the top players. And then I ended up covering the Mets for three years, and I really gained an appreciation of that organization, and especially their fans, who are unlike any other fan base I've ever seen, and I imagine unlike any fan base in, in sports, period, with just how intense and passionate they are. It really is remarkable. You know, um, sports writers, many times, since they, they say whenever they could talk, that's when they knew they wanted to be a sports writer. Is that the same? Are you in the same boat there? For the most part, yeah. I loved baseball growing up. It was by far my favorite sport. It was really the only sports growing up I really watched were baseball and basketball. We were we didn't really watch football in my house growing up, probably because my dad wasn't a fan, so I never got into it. So I, I think I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to play baseball professionally. Unfortunately, I would have. I tried, not very well. <laughs> we all did. Yeah, you know, I did my best. My best wasn't very good. So that's sort of when I knew that I wanted to try to go into this. And for, I've been very fortunate to this point that I've been able to accomplish what really was a, a dream to cover baseball. This is not my fourth season. I'm, I'm only 28 years old, so I've gotten to do it when I was younger than I anticipated, which has been a blast. But yeah, I, I knew probably by the time I was in middle school that this is what I was going to pursue. It's just fun. It's worked out. You know, let's talk about some of that writing here. You wrote a, a, a 
the you wrote about the entire frantic procedure that Trent, Trenton Thunder endured uh, yesterday, Tuesday, when they got late word that Alex Rodriguez would be suiting up for them. Uh, so how intense was it for the entire uh, you know front office there to accommodate everyone for the arrival of A-Rod? Well, it was definitely unexpected for them because, you know, just on Sunday, the last time the Yankees played, Joe Girardi is telling everybody that they're not having Alex Rodriguez go for a rehab assignment, that they're going to activate him from the DL on Tuesday. And all of a sudden, it's Tuesday morning, it's 10.30, 10.45, and the Yankees are calling down to Trenton saying, oh, by the way, uh, A-Rod's coming, and he's coming today. Uh, yeah, he's batting third, so have fun. So there was definitely a scramble. Look, this is a big deal for a minor league team to have Alex Rodriguez showing up for a game. It looks like probably two games supposed to be there again Wednesday. Uh, they went into complete drop everything mode, all hands on deck. Let's get this ready from a marketing standpoint. We got to get a graphic on the billboard outside. We have to send emails to season ticket holders and fans and put it on Twitter and Facebook and really just blast this out there get everybody in the organization on the phones to uh, feel ticket orders and requests. Lots of people had never tickets ever before were on the phone that day. Pretty much everyone in the organization had dropped everything to just make Alex Rodriguez the focus because they knew they were going to have, if not a sellout, close to it. And it worked out great. Like he showed up, the fans were lining up outside the ballpark an hour and a half before the game to see him. Because honestly, who wouldn't? You get a chance to go Rodriguez take three at bats for twelve dollars in a great seat and great view right right up there right close to the park. It's a great opportunity. Uh, Carlos Beltran right now he's he's occupying a Rod's old stomping grounds in the designated hitter position. There's lots of theories going around why a Rod was 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 you know playing in Trenton last night. So. Does this quick stop for him there? Does this have anything to do with Beltron continuing to you know solidify those hot numbers he has, or is it just simply A Rod getting uh, some rehab in? I don't know if they sent him to Trenton because of Carlos Beltron, but certainly the Beltron situation is something that's going to need to be monitored because, like you said, Beltron has been so phenomenal ever since Alex went down in the DH spot, and really the Yankees have looked really good without oh, yeah. Rodriguez. His absence helped the Yankee defense because it moved Aaron Hicks into an everyday role in right field, so it really improved their outfield defense because, because Beltran at this point in his career, while still an excellent hitter, clearly really can't run around the outfield at least every He's a statue. Day. He's a statue. Yes, so the Yankees really have at least two guys who should be, if not full-time DHs, close to it. I think you would get away with Beltran on the outfield a couple days a week, but certainly you don't want him out there six I, days a week. I, I got to ask you this, and uh, a nation is on the edge of their seats, and you, you've tweeted about this before, and that is, do you have any idea exactly what A-Rod Corp is, and how can we be a part of it? I am dying to find out what A-Rod Corp is. I go to that website Every couple of weeks. Yes, yeah, so do I. To see if it's been updated, and it still says under construction. They'll be updated soon. Thank you for visiting. Uh, I wish Alex Rodriguez were around and healthy and in a better mood, so I could ask him about this. So hopefully he's back from his injury, hits a bunch of home runs, and everybody's happy. And then maybe he'll expound upon the wonders of, of A Rod Corp. Because frankly, he's selling those T-shirts because everybody seems to want one. I mean, the, the amount of money he could make on this, the amount of money he could make on it and not even tell anyone what it is, 
is is astounding. So I, I'm dying to know too. I'm in the same boat. Um, as we all know, you work work for the Wall Street Journal, and it's 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 known as a financial publication. And you even write in your Twitter profile, yes, the Wall Street Journal has a sports section. So are there challenges, and if so, what what are the challenges of writing for maybe just a non traditional sports outlet, so to speak? Well, fortunately, at this point, I've been in the journal for five and a half years. And when I first started, uh, the sports page was still really new. It was, uh, you know, maybe just a year or two old. And at that point, every single time you called somebody with a sports question, you would get this sort of side-eyed Wall Street Journal response. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I don't get that really anymore. And I, I, I like to believe, I hope, it's because the work we've done for the last all these years have been good. Uh, it's gotten a lot of attention, and people now recognize that not only do we have a sports page, but we have a really good sports page, and they understand what we're trying to do, which is cover sports in a different way than really anybody else is. Uh, look, uh, working at the Wall Street Journal is an amazing opportunity because people will answer the phone when you call. I, I mean, look, yeah, we don't cover sports typically. It's not our bread and butter, but still the Wall Street Journal, we still have a humongous speech and people. Uh, respect it and want to think of it. So and I have been, it's, it's just great to be able to call people and say, I'm with the Wall Street Journal because all of a sudden people want to talk to you. And as a reporter, that's really all you could ask for. Absolutely. It's a respected name. And just because people are going to the Wall Street Journal for you know financial information doesn't mean that they don't enjoy reading about sports and reading about sports there. So Yeah, that's what we've seen also, is that journal readers are sports fans too. They may not be the kind of sports fan that uh, need to know or want or care about knowing uh, about the third string shortstop in AAA and who gets sent down when another random prospect gets called up. But it doesn't mean they don't watch the games and don't, and don't care. They just want something that's different and interesting. Now you're covering the beat. Um, you're covering the beat of a professional team. It's, it's sometimes, I maybe in fans' eyes, sort of glorified as this once-in-a-lifetime experience, which it is, but glorified for even more stuff. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book uh, Season in Hell by Mike Shropshire when he covers the Rangers in the 70s, but he made it seem to be some sort of party as well. So what is the Jared Diamond experience like covering the beat uh, on home games in a way? Well, it's definitely not a party. <laughs> I, I think maybe it used to be. Right. I think it was probably more like that in the 70s. Uh, it's not quite like that anymore. I think the relationship between the, the teams and the media has just changed so much over the last few decades that it's not nearly as cushy as it once was. I mean, not long ago, not too long ago, baseball beat guys would travel on the team charter uh, to games. That right. is not only not the case now, it never will be the case again. So, it's certainly not a party, but it's, it is a, a lot of fun. The road, especially, uh, the access is better on the road. There's fewer reporters. The players are generally more around, a little more at ease. There's not as many places for them to hide. So I really like going on the road for that reason because you get to actually talk to these guys in a way you don't necessarily know. But like the downside to that is that you have to be on the road. The last two years I've been away from home 150 nights, out of the year. Wow. Uh, this year I'm cutting back a little bit, maybe to a hundred or so, but maybe 90, but it's still a lot. You know, it's, it's half the year or, you know, X, you know, a third of the year, whatever it is. It's a lot of nights to be away. So that's sort of the trade-off, but you just can't complain about it because 
I am getting paid to travel around and watch baseball, which who who wouldn't view that as a dream? That is a total dream of, of, of highest magnitude. I completely agree. Now, you also deal with Major League Baseball issues, not just the Yankees. Now, I realize the game is a business and people are coming and going all the time, but something that has been brought up recently, but at this moment, there are no Latino managers in a sport where 28% are Latino. Now, is this a problem, or do you think this is a very minute, exact snapshot of what we're looking at at the moment? I, I do believe that it, it's a problem, and I don't mean that, that I believe that teams are racist, that teams are intentionally not hiring Latino managers. I, I, even, if I, even if I thought that, I wouldn't have any reason to believe that. I don't know the people who make these decisions in any meaningful way, at least on most teams. But I do believe there isn't, it's not emphasized enough. I don't know if teams recognize what the value could be of having a manager who speaks Spanish, who could exactly, exactly. really relate to, to half of the room or a third of the room. Like, like you said, I, I do believe that in a league where 30%, almost 30% of the players are, Lat, are Latino or Hispanic, that management just naturally should reflect that right now it doesn't it hasn't for a while and i would just implore owners not that any of them are probably listening to this but if they were if i had a chance to ever they them, all listen to this podcast yeah come on stop that it. they should at least they should at least consider the benefits on a, just on a sheer competitive level of having a hispanic manager because there is in many ways a divide in a lot of clubhouses between the Spanish-speaking players and the English-speaking players. And I give the Spanish-speaking players a ton of respect for trying to learn English. They, don't, they, they put more effort into it than I ever would to try to learn Spanish. They don't have to, but they do it because they believe that it's the right thing to do, that it's helpful. But imagine that you have a manager who not only speaks good English, but speaks fluent Spanish and you know, really communicate with all of his players. We always talk about how the, the primary job of a manager is to communicate. Well, look, Joe Girardi really can't communicate in, in a perfect way with a lot of his players. It's not, you know, there's the Japanese players in the case of Masio Tanaka, but the Spanish players. And look, he does his best. I'm sure Girardi has picked up in Spanish. There are translators that could help. But it's really not the same as being able to have a fluent conversation. That's what some of these uh, potential Hispanic Latino managers could do. That's that's the way I've always looked at it. I mean, from the if you're going to just take one element of the, the entire Latino manager experience, the idea that they could communicate with someone else, just someone or whoever it may be, whether it's black, white, Hispanic, but someone who can speak both languages, uh, and obviously in many cases that's going to be a Hispanic manager, but just exactly to have an edge up on everyone to be able to to just communicate on, on every level. I I don't understand why that isn't emphasized more. But again. This could be something that we may see going forward. There's been some outspoken people about it. Carlos uh, Delgado recently was talking about it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, people do get fired. So that, that should be happening in the next few <laughs> months. So. Um, like I mentioned, you covered the Mets before this year. Now, um, you talked about a few of the differences between the Mets and the Yankees. What would be the most glaring? You may have already answered it, but what is the most glaring with the two teams? Just, just the overall atmosphere around the room, and I do think that that's largely, at least in some part, or large part because of the age of the players, I think it makes a big difference when you have a room that's dominated by veterans uh, like the Yankees have. In a room. Uh, it's just a different atmosphere. The young players are just, they haven't been around the block as much. They haven't dealt with the media as much, and 
everyone's it's just a little bit more fun even the veterans the Mets had uh they kind of fit into that culture guys like Michael Kadire last year Curtis Granderson where the Yankees like like I said before it's it is very businesslike they show up they come to work everyone's very polite very nice there's really no one in the Yankees clubhouse that's uh in a rude or, or hard to talk to or difficult to talk to maybe Alex is a little tough to track down but when you do get him very nice I'll answer your question uh, but you don't get that same personal relationship. At least I haven't yet. Maybe that'll change with the Yankees as you had with the Mets. Because I just don't think the Yankees players uh, value that or, or, or want it. They want to come in. They want to get dressed. They want to go out to work, play the game, play hard, hopefully win, and then go home to their families. And I, I have no problem with that. I understand they're older in a different phase of life. A lot of them have kids. A lot of them have multiple kids. But it definitely changes the experience as the reporter. Now here is the uh speaking of uh reporters and communicating with them and or lack of communicating with them it's the million dollar question what is wrong with Matt Harvey right now in your opinion I wish I knew I I feel like no one knows right cuz they uh, the, the, the the they find the, out a way to stop it the, the the opinion I continue to hear it's on sports radio which I thought was insane when I first heard it but it seems to be gaining steam you'll you'll probably dismiss this um, is the fact that he's not getting the same adrenaline from dipping tobacco. Is that just ridiculous? Are we drawing, Are we really reaching here? Or is it's got to be more than that, right? I, I can't imagine. I, I actually haven't heard that. That's, that's kind of interesting. It's sort of really grasping for anything at this point. Well, it's, it's WFAN. It's sports radio. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of grasping. Look, there are many, there, it's all these guys in New York really not supposed to be dipping at home. Right. Are not supposed to be dipping anymore. I haven't seen anyone else, any other former dipper, all of a sudden lose their That's their true. edge. I, look, he's not throwing as hard. He, I don't know what's wrong with him, but it's it's concerning. It, it was getting to the point where you start to get worried. You know, for the first month or a few weeks, you kind of say, "All right, it'll turn around." But you know, we're now at the end of May. It's not that early anymore. We're more at least like a quarter of a way through his starts yeah. or so. More than more than a, a yeah. third, like I don't know how many starts did he have? He had like ten starts already, something like that. You yeah, know? yeah. So he's close to a third of his way through starts, and it's been just horrendous. They yeah. got to figure it out. It's definitely a problem. Where do you think they go from here? I mean, uh, at the time of this recording, there really hasn't been any decision. I mean, it, it, do we, is he sent to the minors? Do they make up a phony injury? Do they keep throwing him out there? I. I what do you think? I, mean, I can't. I can't imagine he makes his next start. Now I have no real knowledge of what's right. going on because I'm not there anymore. But I can't imagine he makes his next start. Just the way that just the quotes, the way they've been talking, uh, they seem just pretty resigned to the fact they got to do something. I don't know if you know they send him to the doctor and put him on the DL with a bruised ego, or if they send him down to. I just I don't know. I can't imagine Matt Harvey getting sent down to the minor league. I know but, it's hard to fathom. But it's very strange. It's 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 also just kind of upsetting because I, like everyone else, any other baseball fan, was really looking forward to seeing this uh, dynamic, unbelievable Mets rotation with all these great guys. And really two of them, and, and Syndergaard and Mats have lived up. Even DeGrom, I know there's been a lot of talk about his velocity. He's been pretty good, too, for the most part. Uh, but he's just, it's a head-scratcher. It is. It really is. And you know what? I want to thank you, Jared, for coming on the Red Ticket Blues podcast where a lot of baseball left to be played. But before you leave to play us out, I have three quick questions for you. You ready? 
Go for it. All right. In your experience on the beat, what is the most underrated city to visit? Underrated city? See, I feel like there's – see, everybody says Pittsburgh. This is like the most common answer. Like Pittsburgh is the most underrated city. But my problem with that answer, I think that so many people have said it, that it's no longer underrated. Right. That it's just, it's just properly rated that as not being bad. So I'm not going to say that because I don't want to fall into that cliche. I like Milwaukee. Really? Actually, I do. It's right on the river. It's kind of small, but there's a nice little river walk area. There's a lot of live music there in the summer. They have music festivals. It's like the whole summer, at least every time I've been there, it's been going on. Uh, So Milwaukee, definitely a fun place. Only an hour drive from Chicago. Definitely recommend it. I've been to Milwaukee once, and and I went to a Brewers game. I will say this. They encourage tailgating there. Uh, so they have actually designated tailgating areas that say tailgate here, and they encourage it. So that's always good for any baseball fans going to Milwaukee. Yes, I like that too. Uh, number two, how will Ghostbusters 3 fare in the theaters? You know, I'm going to have a really hot take and say it's actually going to do well. Whoa. And, the movie won't be, and I'm going to say the movie won't be as bad as people think. I only say that because people think it's going to be such a train wreck. That's right. That I, mean, I just can't believe it could be as bad as people think it's going to be. So it's going to be a pleasant surprise. I think that's just the expectations are so low. I think that's a perfect take because you're right. I, when I first saw it, I said that that is going to be the worst movie ever. And then you're right. Nothing can be that bad with the expectations that's been given. You're right. And I like those people. I like the actors right, right. in it. They're all good. So it can't be that terrible. <laughs> and number three is Carlos Beltran, a Hall of Famer. Yes. yes. Unequivocally, yes. I am very much on the Carlos Beltran. First ballot? Hall of Fame train. I, don't know, I think this whole first ballot Doesn't thing matter. is silly. Either you, if, look, to me, if you think he's a Hall of Famer or the first ballot, you, the second ballot or the other way around. So I don't really get into all that. But yes, I would vote from he's one of five players in history to have 400 homers and 300 steals. The other ones are among the all-time greatest players. Uh Yes, he's a famer to me. There you go. He is Jared Diamond. He covers the New York Yankees for the Wall Street Journal and Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at Jared Diamond. Jared, thank you very much for being on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Thanks for having me. So that was Jared Diamond. Great stuff from the man who covers the New York Yankees for the Wall Street Journal. Interesting, funny, great guest. And I hope you all enjoyed it. There's other guests you can listen to. Go back in the archives, take a look, and you can find all of those podcasts on iTunes. Tune in Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and on Google Play. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. And, you know, if if you really like the podcast, then go subscribe to it. Subscribe on any of those venues I already listed. And if you really, really like it, why don't you leave a review or even a five-star rating because it helps promote the show. And next time you see somebody, tell them about the show. Tell them, I I have a great podcast I listen to. And they'll say, I don't care. But you have to keep pushing the issue until you tell them. And then they say, okay, just why don't you go stand over there? I don't want to talk to you anymore. But you got to do it. So, um, hope everyone enjoyed it. Talk to you next week. With all that being said, I'm out of here.